All right, you guys can give it up for Lauren. Thanks for sharing your story. You know, we love hearing from you. We love hearing uh, what God is doing in the lives of so many people in our church. And so, Lauren, we really appreciate that. If you're newer to H2O, want to welcome you. My name is Brian Wiles. I'm one of the pastors here. It's great to have those of you who are joining us online with us as well. And uh, over the last eight weeks, we worked our way through just one chapter in the Bible, Romans chapter 8. And now this week, we're transitioning into a brand new series, as you heard about. We're starting a four-week series in the book of Ruth. And it's interesting because we're, we're kind of totally changing genres. Uh, Romans is this letter that Paul wrote that is almost like a legal description and a heart-level description of the gospel. And as we come to Ruth, it is in the Old Testament, so we're, we're changing sections of the Bible that we're in. And it's less of a, a letter and more of a story that's telling us this amazing picture of God's grace and God's plan for redemption. And we're going to get to see um, some women of faith really live out what it looks like to follow the Lord, even in the midst of hardship and trials. And so our hope with this series is that we would realize the beauty of the redemption of God, that, that no situation is too far, God for, too far gone for God to redeem and to work in. And so even with that in mind, I want to start off with asking you a question as we head into this series on Ruth that we're going to talk about today. And the question's a little bit of a, a heavier question, but it's very applicable to the book that we're going to be looking at. And the question is this. Have you, have you ever found yourself in a situation that seemed hopeless? Have you ever found yourself in a situation that you looked at and you said, I'm just not sure how I'm going to get out of this. I just don't see any way that anything good can happen in this situation. I just don't see any way forward. I don't see how God could use it. I, I just feel pretty hopeless about this situation. It could be a family situation that you find yourself in. It could be a relationship that you find yourself in. It could be something to do with work. I, I'm not sure. Uh, and I don't know where everybody is at here today, but I feel like many of us, we've been through those seasons. Maybe some of us, we even feel like we're somewhat in those seasons right now. And here's the beauty about the book of Ruth that we're going to discover together throughout this four-week series is that God wants to work in those moments. In fact, the big idea today is this, that God can redeem any person in any situation. God can redeem any person in any situation, and we're going to see God do that very thing as we look at just chapter one of this book together today. So as before we jump in, let me give you just a, a little bit of background, because I know for some of us, we may have read the book of Ruth multiple times, and we may feel like we have a pretty good understanding. And for others of us, it's, it's a new book to us, and, and we're unfamiliar with it. So no matter where you're at, that's totally okay. We're going to tell the story together today. Uh, the book of Ruth, some background on it, it was written... Uh, we believe about 3,000 years ago. So we think this book was written about 1100 BC. And, and something very unique about the book and really about the Bible in general, it obviously bears the name of a woman, Ruth. And I think that that's a pretty cool picture of the, the value and the dignity that Scripture and that the Bible gives to women. Think about a, a book that's written 3,000 years ago, right? And, and back in those times and back in ancient culture and ancient literature, there was very little attention given to the leadership role of women. There was very little attention given to the dignity and value and contributions that women made. But the Bible is actually very different. I don't know what you've heard about the Bible and, and what people have taught you uh, about the Bible's teaching on equality between men and women, but it, the Bible 
has actually been at the forefront of many women's rights movements. And sometimes people may not always believe that because, to be honest, there have been times where the church, the global church, hasn't always lived up to the pages of Scripture that it's called us to. But if you look in the very first page of the Bible in Genesis, when God is creating humans, it says that God created male and female, men and women, in the image of God. And to us, we say, well, yeah, of course, you know, but, but thousands of years ago, for those words to be written, for, for the pages of our scripture to say that men and women are completely equal in dignity and value before God, that was revolutionary. That, that transcended the culture of that time because that was not what the world believed thousands of years ago. And so the Bible has continually given dignity to women, and this book is the same way. This book shows us how, how these women, they lead through a hardship and a trial that they find themselves in. You know, Ruth, she bears the name of this book, and she is an unlikely hero. And we're going to discover what that looks like throughout this first chapter. But this book is written to show us that God can redeem any person in any situation. God can use the mundane, the regular, the normal, and God can use the trials and the tribulations that come into our life to glorify himself. The, the book of Ruth, it's, it's like a love story in many ways that puts modern-day love stories to shame. You know, throughout this book, there, there's so many different emotions. There's funerals, there's weddings, there's drama, there's tears, there's joy, there's pain, there's hardship. There's the range of emotions that come with any amazing story. And we're going to see God continually working to redeem and glorify and move forward his character, his will, and his people. So there's, there's really three main characters in the book of Ruth. There is Naomi, uh, there is Ruth. And there is Boaz. We're really only going to talk about Naomi and Ruth here today because we're just going to work our way through chapter 1. Boaz, we won't get to him until the next couple weeks that we, that we move through together. But we're going to see these two women face this extremely tough circumstance. And we're going to see how they cling to one another and how they cling to their faith and start to see God redeem in amazing, powerful ways. So let's open up to the book of Ruth. If you have a, a physical Bible, you can read along with me. You can open up to, your, to the H2O app or open up to your Bible apps, as I know many of you have. And we're going to start in Ruth chapter 1. We're going to work our way all, all the way through chapter 1. We'll start in verse 1 of Ruth. It says this. It says, In the days when judges ruled... There was a famine in the land. Okay, just really quick, we have to stop right there. Anytime we read the Bible, you're going to get used to this if you come to HCO for any amount of time. We have to have context, right? We've got to know why we're reading and what we're reading. It says, in the day when judges ruled. Now, there's something very important and significant about that statement because this book is written in the context of talking to God's people, the Israelites. And if you remember, God's people, they were enslaved in Egypt. God brings them out of slavery in Egypt, and they cross into the promised land. And at first, when they go into the promised land, they are, they are following God's commandments. They're given the Ten Commandments. They're following God's will and God's word for their lives individually and for their lives as a people group. But what we see to happen as generation after generation comes and goes, people start forgetting about God. People start doing their own thing. People start forgetting about the truth and the love that God has given them, and they start following everything that they want to do. If you look uh, at the book of Judges, which is uh, during the time period that Ruth was written, if you even have your Bible with you, the very last verse of Judges, right before the book of Ruth, Judges 21, 
verse 5, it says this. It says, in those days, Israel had no king. And catch this, everyone did as they saw fit. Those days, Israel had no king, and everyone did as they saw fit. That's not a compliment. <laughs> what the Bible is saying is, instead of following God and his rules and his law that is loving and life-giving, everybody just did whatever they wanted to do. And it led to a lot of pain and problem and destruction in the nation of Israel. So that's the setting for where this story takes place. The nation is doing whatever they want to do, okay? That's where we find ourselves. So let's jump back in. Ruth chapter 1 says, So a man from Bethlehem in Judea, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. The man's name was Elimelech, and his wife's name was Naomi. And they had two sons named Malon and Kilon. They were Ephraites from Bethlehem in Judea. And they went to Moab, and they lived there. Now, Elimelech, Naomi's husband, he died, and she was left with her two sons. And they married Moabite women, one named Orpah and the other named Ruth. And after they had lived there for about 10 years, both Malon and Kilon also died. And Naomi was left without her two sons and without her husband. I want to stop right there. We have to unpack what's going on here because remember, we're living in a, in a time where everyone is just doing whatever they see fit. And we're going to stop and pull out this first point, that following our own plans instead of God's plans can get us into major trouble. And it's true thousands of years ago, and it's true still to this day, that when we follow our own plans instead of God's plans, we will oftentimes end up in places of major trouble. See, here's what happened during that time. Elimelech is married to Naomi, and they're living in the promised land, Bethlehem. Sound familiar to anybody, right? We're going to sing about it here in a month or two, a little town of Bethlehem, the town that Jesus is born in. They, they live in this beautiful place, and, and Bethlehem actually means uh, the home of bread or the house of bread. So it was a place that oftentimes had plenty of food, plenty to eat, but Bethlehem finds itself in this place where they are experiencing a famine. And Elimelech, decides to take things into his own hand. Elimelech says, we're, we're experiencing hard times. We're going through a, a trial right now. And so I'm going to leave and go to Moab to try to find food. Now, you might hear that and think, okay, well, that's a rational thing to do. But Elimelech should have known or did know that that would not have been God's plan for him because he went to Moab. And Moab was a place that was a complete opposite enemy of God and his people. Moab oftentimes and the Moabites, they would pull people away from worshiping the true God, the God that loved them and God that cared for them, and they would say, hey, worship our false gods with us. They would oftentimes lead the people of Israel into places that they shouldn't have been, and they were enemies. They would oftentimes fight with them. And so Elimelech, instead of trusting God and staying in the promised land that God had given them, he runs away to try to meet this need that he has, not by trusting God, but by running to God's enemies. And he runs to Moab. And as he's trying to escape this famine that exists in Bethlehem, he realizes he can't escape death. And we have our first funeral. Ruth, uh, or, or I'm sorry, Naomi, her husband dies. And she's in a foreign land, in a land with God's enemies, and now she is by herself because her husband died, and she has her two sons. And so her two sons both get married to Moabite women. 
And so now there's two weddings. But the reality is that's not something that they should have done there either. Because remember, these people are God's enemies oftentimes. And so they weren't supposed to marry people that didn't know God and didn't love God and wouldn't point them towards God. And so now Naomi has her two sons, and she has these two new daughters-in-laws, and now both of her sons die. We have two more funerals. Over 10 years, tragedy after tragedy after tragedy strikes. And it all started because Elimelech trusted his own plan, like everybody else in the nation was doing, rather than trusting in what God had for them during that moment. And now he leaves his wife alone with nobody to protect her, nobody to take care of her, completely exposed in a foreign land with no husband and no sons, and these two daughter-in-laws that are Moabite women. They find themselves in a massive problem, in a massive situation. See, Elimelech trusted his own plan rather than in God's. And, and I think as we start to hear this story play out, it, it should cause all of us to to ask a question within our own hearts and within our own lives, right? Because we may not be experiencing a famine. We may not be experiencing the same things that these people are experiencing. But the question that we should all ask is this, what do I do when trials or hardships come into my life? Who do I run to in those seasons? Do I go to my own plans or do I trust in what I know is true from God? Because we can see over and over again throughout the pages of Scripture that when we trust in God's plan, He will come through for us. But when we trust in our own, it often leads us deeper and deeper into pain and hardship. Where do I run when trials come? It's something that we should all sit with and wrestle with as we hear the story of Ruth. And the way I see it, I think when trials come into our lives, we have a couple different options, a couple different ways that we can respond. If a trial comes into our life, we can just endure it. We can just say, I just want to get through it. Let's just get this thing over with as soon as possible and let's be done with it. We can try to escape. We can run from the trials that, that may come into our lives. This is what Elimelech did. He said, I'm not going to deal with this situation. I'm not going to stay here where I should. I'm just going to try to run and get away from it. Or we can embrace them. We can try to endure, we can try to escape, or we can embrace the hardship and the trials that we find ourselves in. And we can say, God, where are you in this situation? God, I'm not going to allow this, this trial or this hardship to drive me further away from you. I'm not going to run from you. I'm not going to try to escape. I'm not just going to endure it, but I'm going to engage with it. And I'm going to embrace it. And I'm going to say, God, I want to find you and look for you and walk with you in the midst of this hardship, in the midst of this trial. God, I want to partner with you, whatever you have for me, so that I can grow closer to you in the middle of this pain and this hardship. You know, sometimes the trials that we experience in our lives, we bring them on ourselves, right? Sometimes the trials that we bring that are in our lives are a result of our own sin, and it's very tempting to try to just escape that, to try to just hide that. And other times the trials that happen in our lives, we don't even know why they exist. They may not be through any fault of our own, and yet we find ourselves in those positions. But no matter why we find ourselves in those places, the response always should be the same. God, I want to embrace this. I want to see where you're working and partner with you to grow through this. And we're going to see how that starts to happen as we move forward. Let's jump back in to Ruth chapter 1, verse 6. 
It says this, it says, when Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people. So 10 years had passed, they were in Moab, but Naomi hears, hey, there's bread again in Bethlehem. When Naomi hears that he provided food for them, she and her daughter-in-law is prepared to return home from there. With her two daughters-in-law, she left the place where she had been living, and she set out on the road that would take them back to the land of Judah. Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, go back, each of you, to your mother's home. May the Lord show you kindness as you have shown kindness to your dear husbands and to me. May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. And then she kissed them goodbye and she wept out loud. I'm going to stop right there. I think it leads us to the second observation we can make about this story. That grief is necessary. That grief is oftentimes necessary and good and even important for us to wrestle with. You know, there's this picture of like this raw, real emotion that accompanies trial and pain and hurt. And, and, and you have these three women that they're, they're just weeping together because of what they've been through and what they've experienced. And they're realizing that, that there's something powerful happening and they're embracing the emotions of all of it. You see, uh, uh, many of us were wired to kind of just move past those types of things. Many of us were, were, were afraid to engage with the realness and the rawness that comes from going through a hard time. And I can relate to that. That's something that I struggle with at times. And yet we see the picture of grief that is going to open up a beautiful picture for later on of how God is going to use that hardship and that trial for his good and his glory. Here's, here's what I want us to know as we think about embracing the grief and the, and the pain in our lives. That heartache can often lead to heart change. Have you ever experienced that in your life before? That to actually experience heartache, not to just uh, escape it or endure it, but to actually experience it, experiencing heartache can oftentimes lead to experiencing a heart change. God can use grief in our lives to draw us closer to him. Grief oftentimes makes way for a new life and new hope. Grief and experiencing the bitterness that sometimes comes into life allows us also to rest in the beauty and the joy and the sweetness of God's goodness and God's grace. And I was thinking about this, and again, I'm somebody who, who if I just kind of go with my, my natural temperament, I, I, I don't like to sit in those moments. And I'm sure many of you are like that. And I was on a conference call even recently with a bunch of pastors and leaders, and we were talking about 2020, you know, and all the complexity of it. And I know it's a conversation a lot of us are having, you know, and the pandemic and, and how hard it can be at times and the things that we can't do. And so I'm tempted to just move past that and say, okay, yeah, but what is the good that's happening in but somebody asked the question, what are you grieving during this season? You know, what are you missing during this season? And as I was on the conference call, honestly, at first I was kind of like rolling my eyes, like, are we really going to like talk about what we're grieving about this right now? And uh, just confession, you know, um, but, as, but as people started to share, you know, man, I really miss that we can't do community in the same way. I really miss that we can't uh, be around people in the same way. And, and as they started to share what they were really grieving, it was started to be this powerful moment that started to rise up hope within all of us. 
and see where God actually is working and, and long for the future of what God is going to do in the midst of our world today. So don't be so quick to just rush through the situations that God has us in, but realize he can work and use even the hard times and even the grief to point us towards him. Heartache can often lead to heart change. Let's jump back in in this passage. Uh, in verse 10, it says this, but Naomi said, return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? See, Naomi is trying to be noble here. She's looking at her two daughter-in-laws and she's saying, listen, you know, you're from a different place. You have your own families. Don't stay with me. Don't worry about me. I'm going to go back home. You should go back home as well. And, and, and she goes on. She says, why would you come with me? Am I going to have any more sons who could become your husbands? And that time, the tradition, because sadly, uh, a woman without a husband uh, was somebody who was oftentimes had the potential to be exploited. And so if, if a woman's husband would die, that the brother would then marry that woman so that she could be protected and so that hopefully she could have children and the family name would continue on. And so she's saying, Naomi says to her, return home. I'm too old to have another husband, and even if I thought that there was still hope for me, even if I had a husband tonight and gave birth to sons, would you wait until they grew up? Would you remain unmarried for them? No, my daughters. It is more bitter for me than for you, because the Lord has turned against me. And then they wept out loud again. They're grieving. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye. So Orpah listens to Naomi. She says, you're right. I'm going to go back home to my people. And it says, but Ruth clung to her. Look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and her gods. Go back with her. Naomi, one more time, is like, listen, I'm telling you, it's probably best for you just to, to go back. Don't worry about me. But then Ruth has this amazing reply. She says, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, there I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, your God, my God. And where you die, I will die, and I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. And when Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. The third point is this. Loyalty is a virtue. Loyalty is, is, is a virtue, and I, I might say that it's a virtue that, that we've lost a little bit of, even in our culture and even in our world. You know, Naomi is pleading with her daughters-in-laws, listen, it, it's time for you to just live your life. Don't worry about me. And she's trying to be sacrificial, but Ruth sees a situation that God is working in. Ruth sees somebody that is hurting. Ruth sees someone that if somebody doesn't rise up and come by her side, could be exploited, could be left with no hope. And so she says, listen, I believe God is going to use me in this situation to rally alongside of you, and I will take care of you. Nothing is going to separate me from you. I'm not going to stop. I will be by your side no matter what. That is a level of loyalty and commitment that is powerful. You know, when we get married, we stand up on an altar or a stage like this, and we look at our spouse in the eye, and we say, until death do us part, right? And, and, and we've had those conversations in marriage many times, that, hey, you're stuck with me, so we are together no matter what. But, but Naomi and Ruth, 
We oftentimes don't make that commitment to our mother-in-law, do we? For those of you who are married, you know, as you stand up here on the altar, are you thinking in the back of your head, well, till death do us part, and same with my mother-in-law. I won't leave her either. Sometimes uh, as we make jokes about that at times, it's like that would be something that would be very hard for many of us, and yet Ruth has this deep loyalty to her mother-in-law. She has nothing legally that's binding her to her, but she sees a woman who's hurting and needs somebody by her side, she says, God is calling me to be that person for you. We all need people like Ruth in our lives, don't we? We all need somebody or a few people. When we're going through hard times, when, when, when trials come into our life, somebody that stands up beside us and says, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to walk you through this situation. I'm going to make sure that, that God has a plan for you, and I'm going to help you move towards Jesus, even in the middle of pain and hardship. I will be by your side no matter what, like Ruth says to Naomi. We all need people like that in our lives. But, but here's a question to reflect on. We all know we need people like that in our lives. But are you a Ruth to anybody in your life? See, we all want people that will be beside us through the thick and the thin. But are you that type of friend or family member to people in your life as well? Because it has to come full circle, right? It's easy to look at our lives and say, well, I'm not sure if I really have anybody like Ruth or my. The question is, are you also willing to look at and ask God, who are you calling me to walk alongside? Who are you calling me to be a friend till the end with? Who are you calling me to be somebody that says, I'm not going to leave your side until we get through this. Come thick or thin, no matter what happens, I will be with you and help point you towards the Lord over and over again. You know, I, I know for me, even in the season we've been through, you know, 2020, there's been so much craziness for all of us. You know, we have the pandemic, and I know uh, uh, many of us, we, you have seasons during this time, and even our church going through different trials and in different situations, and, and to have people come up to us and say, listen, I'm going to be with you no matter what. I'm not going anywhere. We believe in you. We believe in this church. We believe in your character. We believe in what God is doing here. You know, it gives you the confidence and strength to carry on in those moments. And I hope and pray that you have people like that in your life. And I hope and pray that you are that type of person for people in your life as well. Because God needs and wants us to be in community to encourage one another and spur one another on as we walk towards him. And that is what Ruth does here for Naomi. Her loyalty is powerful. Let's read this final section as we close out chapter 1. Verse 19, it says this. It says, So the two women went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women exclaimed, Can this be Naomi? Remember, they had been gone for over 10 years now. And say, so Naomi left with her husband and her two sons 10 years ago, and she walks back into Bethlehem, and she doesn't have her husband. She doesn't have her two sons. She just has this woman from Moab, one of God's uh, kind of enemies, one of these people from a place that probably shouldn't be back in the promised land. And so it says that the town was stirred because it was something that you wouldn't normally see. And then Naomi says, don't call me Naomi. She told them, call me Mara, because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? 
The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. And so Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, arriving in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning. See, fourth and finally is this. God can redeem even the toughest situations. God can redeem even the toughest situations. You know, we may listen to the words of Naomi there, and she says, just call me Mara, call me bitter, because my circumstances and my situations are so bitter. And you may look at that and say, wow, Naomi, you know, where's your faith at? But we have to remember what she's been through, being widowed, losing her sons, being left to fend for herself in a foreign land that was very hostile towards the Israelite people. And so she's embracing the hardship, but we're also going to start to see hints and seeds of hope in this story. You know, chapter one kind of lays out a hopeless situation, and yet the book of Ruth is full of hope. And, and even in the, that last line, that in Bethlehem, there was the barley harvest that was about to begin on our graphic. We have those, uh, those, those things of, of wheat because there's going to be a, a story where God intervenes in a powerful way. And God uh, allows Ruth to get married to this man named Boaz. And God takes Ruth, somebody who should have been an enemy of God, and he grafts her into his family, the people of God. And we're going to see redemption start to show up in this story. You know, even though there was pain and there was trial, even though Elimelech, he, he got impatient and went with his own plan, God starts to use it in powerful ways. And sometimes we're tempted to think that God can only use me when I'm doing everything right. You know, God can only use me when I'm on the top of my game, when, I, when I'm doing exactly what he wants me to do. But in this story, we see how God can redeem and use even our mistakes and our failures in powerful, powerful ways. You know, this, this town Bethlehem is mentioned multiple times. I guess now that we're through Halloween, we can start thinking about Christmas a little bit, right? It's coming up here soon. We'll sing, O Little Town of Bethlehem. And, and that's not a coincidence at all. Because as we look at Ruth and we look at how she, she falls in love and how she marries Boaz, we realize that God starts to bless and use their children and their children and the generations to come for his story of redemption. So Ruth and Boaz, their great-great-grandson, will go on to become King David one of the greatest kings to ever rule in the nation of Israel. And then if you follow that story even further, you go to Matthew. And as we read the Christmas story, some of you have read this before, there's this genealogy at the beginning of the Christmas story. There's this genealogy at the beginning of, of, of Jesus' birth in the book of Matthew. And if you read through that genealogy, you're going to see Ruth and Boaz. You're going to see this Moabite woman that somehow gets grafted into the family of God and is part of the lineage of not just King David, but part of the lineage of Jesus that would go on to save the whole world. So when we read through and we're tempted to just skim through the genealogies, there's usually purpose and, and reason for why that's put there. It's to point us back to the reality that no one or no situation is beyond redemption. And they couldn't have known that at this time. 
They couldn't have seen that at this point in the story, but they had a hope and a trust that God could use anything and everything. You see, God was redeeming the story. God was redeeming the mistakes that were made. There's foreshadowing pointing us to the beauty of how God was going to work through this mistake in powerful ways. God can take any situation and breathe life into it. God can take any person. They're never too far gone when we can turn to Jesus. You see, the beauty of the gospel is that every single one of us has made so many mistakes. Every single one of us has drawn ourselves into places of failure, and yet God, through his son, Jesus, gives us the opportunity to enter into his plan and be redeemed. So none of us are too far gone. I don't know what you're going through today. I don't know what you've experienced before, but there is hope because we serve a God of new life, a God of redemption, a God of new beginnings. It's told to us in the story of Ruth, and it's lived out every day in the lives of those of us who believe in Christ. Our hope and our prayer throughout this, this series is that we would see that over and over again. There's always hope, and God can redeem anyone in any situation. So let's pray. God, we thank you for the power of your word, and we thank you for this example of Naomi and Ruth and how these women experienced the bitterness of disappointment and hardship and even death, and yet how, God, you were working a plan in the midst of that. God, would we learn from this story to trust in your plans rather than our own? God, would we learn that you're always loving and pointing us towards you? God, would we trust in you and you alone for our new life and salvation? And God, even when we fall short, even when we find ourselves in situations that seem so hopeless, would we have a peace of knowing that you can work all things for the good of those who love you? God, we, we thank you, we praise you, and we love you. Lord, as we turn to focus on worshiping you, would you give us the peace of knowing that walking with you will always allow us to hope, no matter what we experience. In your name we pray. Amen.